Well, I love that, that song. What a, what a beautiful song. I love that line in there that Jesus is our mighty Savior and Jesus also is our precious friend. And I hope today by the time we leave this place that we embrace him not simply as our Savior but also as our friend. You know, the nicest thing that, that someone can say to you may just be, you're my friend. You have that moment where you define the relationship and someone's the first one to have the courage to say, you know, you've really become a very dear friend to me. That means a lot to us, doesn't it? I, I like the quotation that says this, friends are the family that you choose. Think about that for a moment. I mean, you're, you're born into your family. You don't have a lot of choice about that. You're with them the rest of your life, but it's the friendships that you have in your life or the people that you choose to be a part of your life for a long time. So it's, it's very special for someone to say, I, I want to be your friend. It may be even more special for someone to say, you know, let me tell you, you are my best friend. You know, that's really unique in life. I mean, the, the people who have studied it, I mean, we have what we call acquaintances, uh, it used to be we'd say you have about 200 acquaintances. That, that's before Facebook, all right? And, and now you might have 5,000 Facebook friends, quote unquote. And, and as deep as that goes is your, your Facebook profile. That's about all you can see. You don't know much about them. And, and then we have what we call friends. And most studies say most people have about 20 to 25 friends. They're people you might not see in a year, and you sit down with them, and you catch up, and you take up just where you left off. That's special. But probably in life, you may have two or three best friends your whole life. And that's why it's so amazing, the passage we're going to begin with this morning, where Jesus says, what I'd like to be is I'd like to be your very best friend. The word used here for friendship here is more than just that middle word, it's that deeper word. So look with me in John chapter 15, as we look at Jesus as not simply our mighty Savior, but also as our best friend. Jesus says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves or servants. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now listen, in this day, it was not a criticism or a put down to say that you're a, a slave or a servant of God. That's what everybody was called. But here was the shocker. Now you are my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You see, in all the Bible to this point, there's been two people that have been called the friends of God, Abraham and Moses. No one else would dare think they were on that level. And yet Jesus comes at this point and says, here's what I want you to be. I want all of you to be my friends. In fact, I think you see quickly two characteristics of best friends here. Number one, they lay down their lives for you. They lay down their lives for you. I was eating lunch with a young man this week and just sort of nonchalantly in the middle of the conversation, he said, so-and-so's my best friend. And I was thinking about this sermon, so I said, okay, Coleman, tell me, what makes that person your best friend? He says, this is the person I met in college. I could call any time, day or night, and they would be there for me. And so a best friend lays down their life for you. In World War I, there were two best friends who grew up in a small town in America. They were drafted the same day. They went to the same platoon, and they were overseas fighting in that terrible war in France. And, and, and they were fighting under the barbed wire, and one of the friends had gone out a little bit too far. They had been mortally wounded. 
His, his best friend who was in the same tent told the colonel, I'm going to get him. The colonel says, don't you go get him. It's too late because you will die also. As soon as the colonel turned his head, the best friend went out to get him and he got him and he brought him back. But by the time they came back, not only was that man mortally wounded and dead, but now the friend who'd gone to get him was now mortally wounded and dying. And the colonel got all over him and said, you shouldn't have done that. I told you not to do it. Tell me if this was really worth it. And he looked at him, he said, oh yes, it was worth it. Because when I got there, my friend said to me, I knew you'd come. You see, my friends, that is what a best friend's about. It's someone that would lay down their life for you. But it also, Jesus says, is someone who would confide their inner thoughts to you. Uh, Jesus says, I've made you friends of the king. That was not an unfamiliar term in Jesus' day. If you were an emperor or a king, you had a certain group of friends that you confided in. Uh, These friends literally had access to every area of your your life, even to your bedroom. And you would normally go to them for advice before you would go to your other advisors, almost like we would call a kitchen cabinet. And so when Jesus says, you know, uh, here's someone, I want to be that person you can confide in because I have confided in you, that's really what a best friend's all about. You see, when you develop a great friendship, here's what happens. Is one person sort of cracks the door open and you tell someone a little bit personal about you, a little bit below the Facebook profile. And then the other person thinks, maybe I could do the same. And they tell a little bit. And then you tell a little bit more. And before long, you're confiding in each other. Before long, you know the other person's inner thoughts, maybe even some of their secrets. That's how you become best friends. And here's the cool news about Jesus, is that when Jesus came to this earth, Jesus came and he showed us everything about God. He revealed God's inner thoughts. He revealed what God was really like. And I'm sure you can remember with your best friends, maybe that moment when the guard came down and you really told him something maybe you'd never told somebody else, and it transformed your friendship. So this morning... We want to start off this message by taking communion together. And I want you to think about these two things during communion. First of all, what Jesus did for you on the cross, he laid down his life for you. And second, what did Jesus reveal about God on the cross? You see, here's what I think about the cross. It's the place where God rips his heart wide open and says, here's exactly who I am. Here's how I feel about you. Here's how I feel about this world. Here's what I'm willing to do for you. So as we pass communion today, as you partake of it, would you think of those two things as you embrace Jesus as your best friend? Let's pray together. God, thank you for not just a precious Savior, but for a mighty, mighty friend. And thank you, Father, that Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. And Lord, as we partake of this bread, help us to remember the life that was given in our stead and what it told us about who you are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You say, buddy, that really sounds good to me. All this uh, talk about Jesus being my friend and Jesus securing that through the cross. But, but I've, I've got a question I've got to ask this morning is would Jesus really want to be my friend? I mean, it's one thing to say he was those disciples' friends, but I know how bad I've been. I know what I think. I know the baggage I bring. I know the sinner I am. 
Not what I was, but who I am. Would you really want to be my friend right now? Well, Jesus addressed that all of his life. Jesus actually offended people because Jesus befriended the sinners. In fact, if you look over in Luke chapter um, 15, verse 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You, you see, when Jesus' critics really, really wanted to just level him, they thought the criticism that would bring the greatest, you know, damage to his cause would be to say, my goodness, you are just a friend of dirty, rotten sinners. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I think Jesus embraced that charge. You ever received an unintended compliment where someone didn't realize they were complimenting you, but it really was what you wanted to hear? Now, I remember a preacher among us named Ira North. He was a great guy, a progressive guy, and a lot of people begin to say about his church in Nashville, Tennessee. They would say, the Madison Church is a liberal church, a liberal church. And I, I love what Brother North would say. He would simply say, well, thank you very much. We are a liberal church. We're liberal in grace. We're liberal, liberal in generosity. We're liberal in serving people. Thank you for that compliment. Well, the greatest compliment I ever received in my life came from a search committee of this church years before I ever moved here to Landmark. One of my friends was on the search committee, and they were brainstorming about who to bring as preacher. And one of my friends said, well, how about Buddy Bell? And another guy on the committee sitting across said, I hope before he thought, but here's what he said. He said, I really, really like Buddy, but all he ever does is preach Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, I'll take that. I've got a big sign in my office now that says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I think when someone said about Jesus, he's a friend of sinners, Jesus said, let me put that on my wall. Thank you. That's exactly who I want to be. That's why I came. Now, if you don't catch that yet, let's look at a story. Probably my favorite story in the Gospels. John chapter 8. And let's watch this story. Let's watch Jesus be a friend to a sinner. Look with me. Right about verse 2, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered and he sat down to teach them. Do you recognize that in this day, the teacher sat down and the audience stood up? Maybe we ought to try that. Sounds pretty good to me. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And then verse 6 identifies what's going on here. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They have set this trap. Now, here's what I believe is going on in between the lines here. They've set a trap. You see, to accuse someone of adultery, you had to have two witnesses. Now think how difficult that is to have two witnesses to to witness someone committing adultery. So here's my belief. You you don't see the man show up here. They don't drag the man. I, I think the man was probably paid off to go sleep with this woman so that they would know the time and the place to catch her in adultery. So they would have this trap. You say, well, buddy, what is the trap? Well, understand, remember, Jesus is known as the friend of sinners. But he's also claiming to be the son of God. And so if Jesus says, don't stone her, it appears that he is against the law of Moses. He's against God's law. It says to stone her. On the other hand, if Jesus says, okay, go ahead and throw your rocks, do stone her, he is no longer the friend of sinners. 
If ever it looks like they have Jesus trapped, it's in this passage. Now, what Jesus can do? Let's keep reading. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. This is a really unusual scene. What is he writing? We don't know from the text. There's lots of different ideas. Some people think he's just buying time and just sort of doodling in the sand while he gets his thoughts together. Other people say when Jesus went to to write in the sand, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get the attention off of her and onto himself because this woman is so embarrassed. Or maybe he's trying to put the attention on the ones that are screaming for her stoning. Maybe if they hear themselves over and over again, they'll hear how cruel and awful they sound. Uh, Another ancient idea was that Jesus was actually writing scripture in the ground. Jeremiah 17 verse 13 is what they think he wrote. Those who turn away from God will be written in the dust for they have forsaken their Lord. So some people think he actually wrote that scripture. My favorite idea comes from the commentary of William Barclay who says when Jesus stooped to write in the sand what Jesus was writing were their sins. Isn't that a good one? Barclay says the word here to write literally means to lay a charge against. So here's all these guys with their rocks and they're about, they're wanting to stone this woman for adultery. And Jesus stooped down and he starts saying, okay, uh, you lied the other day. Uh, Bob, you're a gossip. Uh, Evelyn, you cheated the other day on your taxes. And he begins to write their sins. Wouldn't that be a little bit intimidating? You think Jesus would know it, right? So what happens after Jesus stoops? Look at verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I think that may be the greatest line in the whole Bible. If any, okay, guys, I'm okay with this. Go ahead and throw your stones. Go ahead and stone this woman. Just, just, just one uh, prerequisite. Here, here it is, is, is that you have no sins in your life. I'll never forget, I was uh, trying to share my faith with a, a young man in Tuscaloosa in Patey Hall. His name was Vinny DiGiorgio. And uh, one day I just went to his dorm room and I was just telling him stories about Jesus and how awesome Jesus was. And I got to this story. He had never heard it. And I'm, t- I'm just telling the story. You know, they, they throw the woman, they try to trap Jesus, and Jesus doodles in the sand. And Jesus stands up and says, okay, guys, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. I'll never forget Vinny was sitting on his dorm room bed. He laid back and just started laughing his head off. And then he said, my goodness, Jesus is the coolest. And he was right. What an incredible line for Jesus to stop them in their tracks, you know. And go, okay, guys, it's okay with me. You just got to be without sin. Oh, my goodness. Look how they respond. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Maybe they're getting scared he's going to get to them and their sin, right? Look what it says. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older one first. I'll never forget the answer of a junior high boy when I asked, why did the older guys leave first? And his answer was this, because they had more sins. Pretty good answer. Now look what happens here. Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. We finally have Jesus one-on-one with this woman, guys. Here's the crucial moment. What is he going to do with her? Uh, Understand this. 
He is without sin. He is the perfect man of God. He can cast the stone. Oh, you got to love it. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Can you, can you just imagine her? I mean, she's been scared to death the whole time, man. She's covered her head. She's anticipated the rocks beginning to pound her into the ground. And finally, Jesus says, would you look up a minute? Would you look around? There's nobody left. There's no one to prosecute you. Therefore, there's no trial. Woman, do you, do you see anybody? Is there anybody here to judge you? Anybody here to prosecute? Anybody here to throw the rocks? And she peeks out and she goes, I, I don't see anyone. And then here's the great, great part of the passage. Here's the words that you and I need to cling to. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you. Now, my friends, this morning, if you can believe what we're talking about here, if you can believe this is more than just a Bible story, okay? Because Bible stories aren't there to tell you what God used to be like. Bible stories are there to tell you what God is like. The story of this woman's not there just to say, Jesus was awfully cool to this adulterous woman. The story is there to tell you, Jesus is awfully cool with you. So this morning, if you could believe that, it could be the start of something very special in your life. What is that? A best friend with Jesus. Let me quickly, quickly tell you what Jesus offered this woman and what he offers you. First of all, Jesus offers you compassion. Here's the headline. Here's the headline that belonged in the newspaper in the first century. God comes to the earth and he cares about screw-ups. He cares about mess-ups. He's not just for the quote-unquote righteous and the religious. He's for the people who've got problems in their life. And Jesus has this compassion. You know, know, one of the most radical things about Jesus, we don't get it because we love it, at least in the first century, was that Jesus was touched by people's problems. The Stoics in Jesus' day thought that was demeaning to God. If God was really God, if he was that powerful and that above us, then how in the world could God be affected by what we do? And they were offended by that. And yet Jesus comes and gives a completely different picture of God. He is a God who feels what you feel. Here's a definition I saw of a best friend I thought was really good. Best best friends are people who make your problem their problem. Best friends are people who make your problem their problem just so you don't have to go go through it by yourself. And that's what Jesus did. He made this woman's problem his problem. And the key word in this passage that you might have missed, that I missed for a long time, is the word woman. Jesus addresses her woman. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Now, we, we all know that word woman in our language is determined by voice tone, right? In Jesus' day, it was determined by different Greek words. But in our day, we know the word woman can be a very sweet word. It can be a, a very demeaning word. It can be an angry word. I'll never forget when we first moved here, Luke was in kindergarten. And one Sunday on the way to church, we'd been in our big old station wagon. Remember those? And uh, we'd been in an argument, and I guess all the girls had sort of gotten emotional. And we pulled up behind the old fellowship hall there, and we walked in the back door. It's just me and Luke walking in front, and we're just walking down the hall, and everybody's mad. And Luke just looks over at me and says one word, women. 
<laughs> you know, that's not the way Jesus used this word, okay? There, there are lots of different words in the Bible for women. In the, one, in the Gospel of John, three times Jesus uses this same word for woman. You know who he uses it for other than this adulterous woman? His mother. It's the same word he uses on the cross when he says, woman, behold your son. This is the word for woman that's a term of endearment and love and respect. And Jesus chose that word for this woman. So I don't care what you've done or where you've been. Jesus offers you compassion. Number two, Jesus offers you cleansing. I mean, the great line here is, neither do I condemn you. I, the one who could condemn you. Because the truth is, all of us are sinners, right? We all deserve condemnation. But that's not what Jesus gives us. And we're so thankful you're here for our friend day today. And I don't know a whole lot about you, and you don't know a lot about me, but one thing I know about all of us, one thing guaranteed, is that every one of us is sinners, I always loved the story of the preacher who got a little carried away one Sunday preaching. He finally, you know, was talking about how everybody was a sinner. And he finally just said to the church, he said, is there anybody in here who's perfect? Anybody in this audience who's without sin? Would you stand up right now? And to his shock, a man stands up in the back. And he looks at the man and said, are you telling me that you're perfect? He said, no, sir. I'm just standing for my wife's first husband. <laughs> Guys, the truth is there are no perfect people, all right? And and the great news for us is that Jesus offers us that kind of cleansing. Listen to me. What I find out about Jesus when I read the Gospels is God is not thrilled in condemning people. That's not why he came. He is thrilled in forgiving people. That's why he came. Now, don't believe that her sins are unpaid for. Don't believe he just overlooks her sins. For Jesus to forgive this woman and to not condemn her is to lead to his own condemnation and his own death. You see, what Jesus is saying is, I love you enough that I'm not going to make you pay for your sins. They got to be paid for. Yes, I'm going to pay for them. And today, here's the good news. You don't have to pay for your sins because you couldn't. But Jesus will. And so number three, not only that, Jesus offers you challenge. Jesus says, you know what? I don't condemn you, but wow, what a line. Go sin no more. If your best friend came to you and said, here's my expectation of you, buddy, from now on, don't sin. You think, that's wild. But that's what Jesus says to this woman. Reminds me of my favorite Max Licato quotation is that Jesus loves you just the way you are You know the rest of it, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. My friends, Jesus is willing to accept you right where you are, but Jesus is also desiring to mold you and change you. And so this woman, with all of her sin and baggage, Jesus challenges her. Because I think that's a big challenge for us as individuals in the church is that we be the place that offers acceptance and cleansing, but at the same time offers the most incredible challenges you've ever heard. That you know what? Yes, you could be forgiven of all of your sins here today, but you could leave here and live like Jesus. And then just one more thing here. Jesus offers her confidence. I mean, think about this. This is wild. This woman who's been embarrassed, thrown in front of everybody, caught in the 
act of adultery. This woman, Jesus believes, has the potential through his power to sin no more. Wow, what confidence that Jesus put in that woman. And maybe you come here today and you've been beaten down by life or beaten down by your own sins and your own failures. The good news today is that we serve a God who believes that you could change who wants to be so close to you that you could call him your best friend and that your life could be dramatically different. I want us to have a real life example of that right now. I want to call my friend up here, Heath Woodruff, if Heath would come. And I want to talk to Heath just a moment. Because when I was thinking about this message and thinking about people in this church who have dramatically changed, Heath is the person that um, that came to my mind. And I've been blessed to, to watch Heath up close and to see what God has done in his life. And so he thank you for being willing to be in front of all these people, okay? Not that I thought you would mind. I do, I do, I do know you. Okay. Um, yes, yeah. Are you on? Did you flip the switch? I'm on. There you Man. go, you're on. All right. Now, I've known Heath for a long time because Heath grew up in this church. He sat back there in that section. I've had my eye on him since he was in or since my daughter, Lindsay, was in the eighth grade because she went on youth retreat and this young man kissed her. And so um, <laughs> I, I have kept a... I hadn't confessed that. But, <laughs> but of course, me. he tells me she's the one that came to his cabin. So maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it was that way. So since that moment, I've, I've kept a close eye on Heath. And, and I've watched him and, and probably I almost stalked the kid because... Uh, Heath grew up, just everything he touched, he did well. He was a great student, great athlete, did, did an awful lot of really good things in his life. But the more I sort of got to know him, the more I figured out that sort of what you saw at church was like a Facebook profile. Uh, what was going on behind the scenes was a lot different. So he tell a little bit about, despite the fact you were at church every Sunday. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. How far had you fallen? What was uh, going on? <clears throat> well... Is that too loud? No. Uh, to preface it, uh, I, I called my mom last night and kind of warned her I was going to do this, you know. And uh, the the longer I'm a Christian, the harder it is to even tell about my testimony because I feel like I'm talking, I'm telling a lie, you know. Like I feel like that never happened, you know, that I never lived that sort of life. Uh, but I did. And uh, so the question is how far have I, how, what did I say? How far, how far were you down uh, back then? Okay. Um, well, I would just generally say that, you know, I was living a party life, but it was, it was much more than that. Um, uh, it, you know, started an experiment with drugs and stuff in high school, and um, it went into college, and I started, like, uh, I guess, selling drugs and doing them. And, um, you know, everything that comes along with that, and because of my mother and dad that are sitting back there, I was sitting in these seats, hung over half the time on Sunday mornings, and sorry to everybody that had to sit around me. I probably didn't smell too good. And, uh, um, but, I mean, that was it. It was every Sunday, just, you know, same thing, no changes. Just uh, everything terrible you could imagine about a life was happening. And uh, inwardly, I was just destroyed, you know, so... Tell, tell me, um, when we look at these four things up here, compassion and cleansing and all these, all these things here, what, how did Jesus work in your life to offer those things? Oh, man, when I, 
By the way, if you haven't read the Bible, you probably need to do that. Because I never had. I sat in here every Sunday until I was 23 years old, and I never read the Bible for myself. You crack that Bible open, you get past the four Gospels, you get to Romans, and Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who belong in Jesus. And then you say, well, man, those five books I just read prior to, I belong to Jesus. There's no condemnation for sin. You get a little excited, you know. You're like, all that stuff that I did, I'm not bound by that anymore. So I would say compassion only came to me when, I mean, although you're great up here. <laughs> the Bible is, what, is where I found compassion. Like, Jesus is compassionate, you know. And, you know, challenge, he says, be holy, be like me, deny yourself, be selfless. And, you know, I've never did that before. I did whatever felt good to me. And, you know, that was my challenge, was to do something unimaginable. So I'm getting forgiven for all the sin that I just committed, or doing drugs and treating, burning relationships that people that are in this church right now that have every right to hate me, and they don't. Um, you know, I got challenged to be holy. And... The confidence is the hardest part, I think, for anybody in here that really hasn't developed a relationship with Christ. Confidence is the hardest thing. And it only comes, if you, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10.32, it says, remember what it was like when you first came to Christ. Remember what it was like when you first came to Christ, when you had compassion on those who were in prison, and when you joyfully endured suffering when people uh, took your own property because you knew you, that possessions uh, were built up for you in heaven. And it says, and as a result of that, therefore, have confidence. The difference between me pre-Jesus and post-Jesus was that I had confidence now that I could struggle against my sin like, some, like what a non-Christian could never do. Like, I could literally resist myself and my own temptations as a result of Jesus' help you know, in his friendship. And I had confidence in that due to personal experience. And I took the first step and said, I'm going to delete my contact list in my phone. You know, girls aren't allowed in my apartment, period. And um, by, by stepping out like that, Jesus has room to work. So, Yeah, one thing uh, Heath always really appreciated about you, even before your life was turned around, is there was, you, you were completely honest. I mean, if, if, if I would sit down with you and say, how are you doing with God? You would say to me, very boldly, if Jesus came back right now, I would split hell wide open. And so I, I think there was, there was sort of an honesty of where you were. But what finally led you to that turning point where you stopped just saying, I know I messed up, and you surrendered to Jesus? Oh, man. Well, I remember the morning and then meeting you. Uh, the actual morning, I had two best friends, the craziest dudes, I won't even say their name, the craziest dudes I ever met. And uh, they sat me down on uh, January the 1st, 2012, two, whew, two years ago. And uh, they said, Heath, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to die. This is 6 a.m. in the morning. And uh, they were on my couch in my apartment. And they said, dude, you got to slow down, you're going to die. Like literally said those words. And... Uh, I was like, man, whatever. You know, and they left, and I was alone again and miserable because nobody was around. And uh, I just looked around and didn't like what I saw. And I met with you 
two days later, two days later, I believe. And uh, what really brought me this, and this is a story not all of y'all know. Can I share it about the car? Uh, obviously, I mean, I'm going to tell on Buddy for a second. He met me at like Tinder Chick, right? And he was going to do his little ministering thing he always did. You know, I love you, Heath. Come to Jesus. You know. Thanks for affirming, thanks for affirming me. Come to Jesus. <laughs> no, but this day was different. Let me tell you why. I told him what I did. I was like, I did something really crazy before January the 1st when my friends told me, uh, you're going to die. Like, I did something pretty wild. And uh, we were in his little S10. You know, we are in there like this. And... Um, we're through, and he said, uh, he always prayed, and he would always ask me if I want to pray, and I said no for two years, because you had been after me about two years. I said no. And uh, he asked me again. He said, Heath, would you like to pray? And I said, nah, I'm good. He said, after what you just told me, you're not going to pray? I said, nah, I'm good. He said, well, you're not getting out of my truck until you pray. And he hit the lock button. <laughs> surprised it was electric. You know, it, it could act, he could do it from his side. I was surprised. <laughs> And uh, I got angry with him. I was like, dude, let me out of the car. Like, let me out. And he said, nope. Not let, dead serious. I was a big guy back then, too. Like, I'd, have, I'd gotten him, you know. I'm small oh, now. I got you. And uh, he, he was, um, he said no. And I'm blown away, you know. And, but I sat in there for about five minutes, and we didn't say a word. We just, <laughs> and I gave up. And I said the first prayer I've said in three years, I said, God help me. And that's all he wanted. He said, okay. That was it. I went on my way. Three days later, I walked down, not this aisle, but the aisle down there. And ever since, it has been good. What would you say to somebody sitting here today that's where you used to be? Last word, what would you say to them about the change and what what it's brought? You don't know what you're missing out on. You think you're living life and you're not. You're completely blind. You know, there's somebody in here. Generally, you're going to find more of me in that next service. They weren't able to get here this morning to this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe true. Generally speaking. But I'll tell you this. There's somebody in here. They don't have to be going through what I'm going through or what I went through. Uh, but uh, there's somebody in here right now. You know who you are, and um, you're living a lie, and you're blind, and um, if you take the first step, and that is to confess your sin, you don't even have to walk down the aisle if you want to, but confess your sin, James 5, confess and you will be healed as a result of that, you read the Bible a little bit, you know, actually trust in the promise of Jesus Christ, the one who was died, buried, and resurrected from the dead. He knows something. You know, Phil Robertson says we're counting time by him, whether you're an atheist or not. Um, I would take that first step to confess your sin to somebody and then make sure, even if it's just, if, if it's just out of habit, be here in the mornings because it'll give Jesus time to work. But personally not just giving you know jesus advice but just personally your luck is going to run out you can't live like that forever you can't at all let's give a hand to heath for sharing so openly with us this morning thank you brother that's awesome
Well, let's close out here. So thankful that you're here this morning. So thankful we got to hear that because that, that makes it real. And, and I want to close out by, by, by using some girls, some words that can sound like a junior high girl. Uh, but I, I think you'll get it. Jesus wants to be your BFF, all right? He, he want, what does that mean? He wants to be your best friend forever. That's the coolest thing about Jesus is that this is a friendship that will never end. Studies say most Americans cycle through their friends every seven years. But with Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants to be your friend. And and guys, the, the passage we started with this morning says very plainly that he chose you. He he chose you to say, I want to be your, does that not blow your mind? That the God of heaven, the perfect son of God, that he wants to embrace you, not just as your savior and your Lord, but he wants to embrace you as your friend. Is that not incredible? It's it's mind blowing. You say, well, how, how do I choose him back? Well, back in John 15, he gave one line that says what it means. Show that one, John chapter 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. How do you choose him back? You trust him enough to go, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. You know? I mean, you say, well, is he talking about working for your salvation? That's not what he's talking about, earning your salvation. He's talking about proof of your salvation. What he's talking about here is, if you really want to know if Jesus is your best friend, do you trust him enough to do what he tells you to do in your marriage? Do you trust him enough to do what he says to do with your finances? Do you trust him enough to be obedient to him in your priorities? Do you trust him enough to say, you know what, you're my best friend, I'll do it. I mean, if I got a call from my best friend in the middle of the night and they they said, you know, 3 a.m., buddy, come to my house, I need you right now. I wouldn't argue with him. I wouldn't say, well, man, why do you need me? It's sort of the middle of the night or I'm sleeping. You know, I can't believe you woke me up or explain. No, I would just get up. You would too. I'd get in my car and I'd go to their house because we got that kind of relationship. And and with you, when Jesus becomes our best friend and he says, do this, you just do it because you trust him more than you trust yourself. And so this morning, my, my challenge to you, my question for you, he's chose you. We know that one. Will you choose him? I mean, we're about to sing. And if you need to come and do what Heath just mentioned and, and uh, confess your sin, or if you need just to come before this church and say, you know what? Man, I come to church every Sunday, but I really don't have a friendship with Jesus. Or this is my first time to be here, and I didn't even know God wanted a friendship with me. Would y'all pray that I could find that friendship? You know, I wish I could push that lock button and say, all these doors are locked until you do something, all right? (laughs) But this time it's not quite so easy. But can I say this to you? In, In heaven's name, why in the world would you not choose him as your best friend? Give me a legitimate reason not to. You can't find one. So if today we could pray for you before you get out of here, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?